0: A disclaimer about today's episode, it contains graphic details and recordings of violence as well as strong language. I'm Cecilia Lay, and this is Fifth Emission. In October, a man broke into Nancy Pelosi's home in San Francisco's Pack Heights neighborhood. He wanted to hold her hostage. Nancy, who was house speaker at the time, wasn't home that night, but her husband Paul was. The intruder attacked Paul with a hammer, leaving him with a fractured skull and other wounds. We learned some critical details right away. The suspect was 42-year-old David DePape, a man who had struggled with mental illness and had become consumed with far-right politics and conspiracy theories in recent years. Now we know even more. On Friday, law enforcement officials released audio and video recordings that captured what happened before and after the violent incident. The Chronicle was among the first to publish the recordings, including the 911 call where Paul Pelosi attempts to convey his fear to a dispatcher prior to the attack.
1: This gentleman just uh, came into the house uh, and he wants to wait here for my wife to come
0: home. Do you know who the person is? No, I
1: don't know who
0: he is. Also published was body camera video worn by SFPD as they approached the Pelosi household. Officers encountered DePape and Paul Pelosi standing side by side in the doorway. Hi, guys. how you doing? How are you? What's going on, man? Everything's good. Quickly, officers noticed that each man had their hands on a hammer.
1: Drop the hammer. Um, nope. Hey. Hey, hey, hey.
0: DePape wrestles the hammer out of Pelosi's hand and strikes him forcefully with an overhead hammer blow. What
1: is going on? I'm not getting an answer. Oh, oh, shit.
0: Officers rushed in to tackle DePape 54 seconds into the video. Paul Pelosi is seen lying unconscious on the floor. Today on Fifth Admission, I'll speak with Abner Haugi, the editor-in-chief of Left Coast Right Watch, an independent news outlet that covers politics and monitors alt-right extremism. Haugi will explain what we're learning from the latest videos of the Pelosi attack and what they reveal about the ideology and planning of right-wing extremists. Haugi didn't think it would be a good idea to release the recordings of the attack. He'll share why. Abner Haugi, welcome to Fifth Emission.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: So I'd love to start here, Abner. As we saw on January 6th and throughout the previous administration, the alt-right was animated by Donald Trump's presidency. How have right-wing extremists reacted to the Biden administration?
1: It's kind of a mixed bag. I think what Biden's presidencies prove overall is that this movement really goes beyond Trump. It always has, and it always kind of will. One, it's an insurgency. They use everything from facts to outrage to more conventional weapons to try to reach their goals. Two, it seems to me like the right wing in this country feels a little bit more comfortable losing an election and being in the opposition than winning. Hmm. I feel like they've been just as effective getting stuff done for themselves without Trump in office. Mm. The bills that have passed, things like Florida's Don't Say Gay bill, all of these really horrible disruptions at drag events, they've been rolling right along.
0: Now, the attack on Paul Pelosi was shocking for a lot of people, but his wife, uh, Nancy Pelosi, has been a target of far-right threats and extreme hate for many years. As someone who has been monitoring extremism for a long time now, were you surprised by the attack?
1: I am never surprised when one of these attacks happens. What surprised me and I think motivated and kind of is still motivating a lot of right-wingers is how easily this guy was able to do what he did a lot of thought gets put into planning attacks in the fringes of the right wing people share tactical manuals for you know small unit tactics with weapons and how to set up ambushes and things like that Mm -hmm. what they absolutely love about this attack is that this guy just broke into Paul Pelosi's house and hit him with a hammer. He didn't have a lot of complicated tools. He just went in there and did it. And a lot of the propaganda on their forums and things is saying, this guy can do it. What's stopping you? Mm -hmm. That is a huge victory to them. That's a huge propaganda win. Mm -hmm. That video is just more proof that this guy could do what he did very quickly and very effectively.
0: So I want to talk about the origins of of this a little bit more. The attacker, David DePape, he was before this, he was a pro-nudity activist. And now suddenly he's landed here. How do people like him, who don't seem to have strong political affiliations at first, end up radicalizing in this way?
1: Well, our outlet took a dive into this guy um, once his name got released. And a lot of these people come from a place where they feel that some control they felt they had in their lives and in the world is slipping away, and they need to rationalize that in a way where they're the victim so that they're justified in trying to reclaim lost power. And for this guy, I think he had a relationship or a marriage that didn't work out he basically was a guy who had some anger about not having access to and control of women in his life. And he found refuge in kind of far right conspiracy theories. There's nothing wrong with, you know, the kind of communities that he came out of, like, you know, the new age spirituality and all of the tangential communities around it. But Those are communities where you kind of take altered consciousness and stepping away from reality. Your own reality is kind of like a natural thing you just do. And if you get too into that without grounding yourself into reality, it can be a lot easier to fall into these places. Now, do I think this guy was particularly special In any way, no. Like a lot of people go down this. Mm
0: -hmm. So let's talk about these recordings. Now, Pelosi's lawyer didn't want them to be released, and the district attorney's office also had concerns about it. And back in October, you actually told local news site Mission Local that you hoped body cam footage of the attack on Paul Pelosi would never be released. How come?
1: I kind of hoped it wouldn't be released, even though I knew it would, because. It's really good propaganda. A lot of them would absolutely love to do what this guy did. You know, he basically became immortalized. There's an entire process where these guys get canonized. You're going to hear a lot about of rhetoric saying like, oh, this guy was, his, was Paul Pelosi's gay lover or something. And that's all deflection that's all chaff you can kind of ignore it and what they're really saying to each other more implicitly than explicitly is pay really close attention to how this guy did it because he succeeded and he succeeded with not very many tools Mm -hmm. a lot of them have much more expertise than this guy did
0: More with Abner Hauge after a quick break. How active are right-wing extremist movements in the Bay Area and what can be done to counter their objectives? We'll be right back. You can support the newsroom that creates Fifth Emission by signing up for unlimited access at sfchronicle.com slash pod or by downloading the San Francisco Chronicle app. Speaking of this deflection that you're describing, the rhetoric that has come up after the attack by right-wing activists, does the footage serve a purpose in disproving that kind of deflection?
1: Oh, no, they don't care. Absolutely nothing in the footage, facts-wise, matters to them. All that matters is this guy succeeded, we already knew that, and this is how he did it. Already on Twitter, we're seeing people like Benny Johnson, who's this like right-wing talking head. You're seeing these talking heads saying, oh, well, isn't this little detail in this video strange? Isn't that little detail in this video strange? What about this? What about that? And all of that's just deflection. It's deflection, first of all, because this guy was very clearly motivated by their ideology. So there's a lot of like this complicated doublespeak on right-wing median discourse. So it kind of is for their audience to assuage their potential guilt mm. because they're still human at the end of the day. They they have to overcome a lot psychologically to say, yes, violence is good. I want to hurt people.
0: Right. Well, let's talk about that ideology a little bit more. In footage of SFPD's interview with DePape after his arrest, DePape justifies his actions saying that Nancy Pelosi and others are engaged in what he calls a, quote, crime spree. Let's listen to a little bit of that tape now. It's just like an endless fucking crime spree. It's like they go from one crime to another crime to another crime to another crime. And it's just like a whole fucking four years until they were finally able to steal the election. Abner, why has Nancy Pelosi loomed so large in the minds and rhetoric of the alt-right?
1: Well, it's not a very complicated reason. I mean, it's kind of the same thing as Hillary Clinton. And Nancy Pelosi is one of the most powerful Democrats. Also, she's a woman. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's very easy for them to... Have a bunch of subtle and not so subtle sexist tropes that they can weaponize against her. It's basically a set of beliefs that grow out of this complicated mesh of old colonial beliefs, imperialism, racism, segregation, mm-hmm. all of those forces that say you ought to be under my boot. That's kind of what all of this is about.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, this. Attack on Paul Pelosi was just so shocking locally because it happened here in San Francisco, and I was wondering if you could speak to some of the extremist movements here in the Bay Area. How active are they?
1: There's a lot of them, and there's a lot more than people think. but the good news is is that because the Bay Area is like a very resilient place where a lot of ethnic, religious, sexual, gender minorities like have successfully fought for their rights and dignity. It's a place where a lot of them don't feel comfortable operating out in the open. So here, more than elsewhere, they operate more covertly. And I think the big catalyst that's changed that and made let a lot of them be more open was first COVID and the wave of COVID denialism activism, which is still kind of ongoing. And then the second major force catalyzing a lot of them is basically the anti-queer, anti-drag movement, like the whole showing up at drag story hours and showing up at just drag events and queer events. They've been more open in those cases, You know, there's this kind of cascading effect of like, oh, you can be just like a COVID denialist and you're in a pool of people with that have a bunch of different conspiratorial beliefs. Some of them might not be Nazis, but they are here.
0: And Abner, at the same time, you know, conservative media has been quick to frame this. Pelosi attack as a San Francisco crime problem. And San Francisco's critical issues have also been used to bolster some right wing arguments. Is that right? It's true. And it's been a
1: meme on the right for years. It's like a cliche thing to say that San Francisco is just has these crime filled streets where people, you know, defecate on the sidewalk and nobody cares. The Bay Area and San Francisco, in particular, are totemically important as symbols to the right wing. Why? Because, you know, one, they're a democratic stronghold. Two, there's been a lot of successful effort to have social change for dispossessed peoples. Everything they do, they're not looking at it in good faith. They're not looking at it as, okay, this is a serious problem. We are pushing for policies in response to it. They're looking at it as, we don't like these people having power because that takes power away from us, and we want to strategically disenfranchise them.
0: Now, Abner, this can all feel really dire, But is there anything effective in countering extremist narratives? How do you sort of assess the outlook ahead? There's a lot of
1: things to be done. One thing is for news organizations to really seriously understand how these guys produce their propaganda, but really having good media literacy and understanding like How these people will use this attack as fuel for propaganda and just weaponize it and weaponizing disinformation to push things in their direction is really crucial. One of the big things that the far right's doing is organizing in local school boards and just local city and county governments that needs to be organized against because otherwise you're going to have these like very far right people passing really horrifying, like legislation and policies for their local school boards and counties and cities and stuff that just dehumanizes trans people. And it won't stop at trans people. It'll go on to the larger LGBTQ plus community. It'll go on to just, women's rights in general it already has i mean they got to overturn roe versus wade for god's sakes and they see this as a battle where they're trying to claim territory and they win by taking territory through like seats on school boards through legislation through power
0: abner appreciate your insights thank you so much for your work happy to be here Abner Haugi is the editor-in-chief of Left Coast Right Watch, an independent journalism outlet that monitors alt-right extremism. You can check out his work at leftcoastrightwatch.org. To review the recordings of the Pelosi attack and to read more coverage on it, visit sfchronicle.com and the Chronicle app. Thanks to Francesca Fenzi for producing this episode, to King Kaufman for editing it, and to you for listening.